Hi folks, welcome to the Sprout Sweater, the Big Sweat episodes. As you know from the first one with Jeff Nicholson, this is where we spend a bit more time in the episode to dive deep into particular aspects of uh, well-being, resilience, and the stories we tell ourselves. Uh, with me today is Dr. Ron Lawson. Hi Ron, how are you doing? I'm good, Jeff. How are you doing? Cool. I'm good. I'm good. Well, we've known each other for a good few years, and you were my... Uh, well, tormentor or mentor or t- coach, t- 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 tutor, wasn't it? <laughs> On my master's the last couple of years in coaching and mentoring. Tormentor is probably a good phrase. <laughs> D-mentor. <laughs> D-mentor. <laughs> yeah, no, joking aside, you you um, you played a, big, played a big part in the last couple of years in particular uh, in relation to, to kind of helping me tune in my understanding of the stories we tell ourselves and how that can influence the world, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do a deep dive with yourself on that. So do you want to just uh, tell the listeners uh, something about yourself and your background, etc.? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Jeff. Uh, well, uh, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in the world. Um, I'm, I'm Ron Lawson. I'm uh, um, a senior lecturer part-time at the University of Cumbria, where I teach uh, coaching and mentoring to a master's degree level. I do have my own coaching practice and that covers uh, executive coaching, management coaching, life coaching, um, NLP, I'm a master practitioner, uh, NLP, timeline therapy and uh, master hypnosis, uh, which is somewhere I never expected to go, but um, I really enjoy that practice. Um, but fundamentally, I guess my story uh, is, you know, uh, fundamentally I'm a I'm an artist and a musician who does other stuff, you know. Uh, I'm just really lucky that the other stuff is really interesting as well. So, <laughs> uh, but I've, I've carried that story, dear, since I've been a kid, you know, wanting to be a rock star and, a, and an artist. And uh, here I am many, many years later living the dream. So this is how important stories are. Believe me. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, we've, we've had many a conversation about this. Now, I know there's a lot in between because you haven't always been a musician and an artist, or, or may, maybe you have at, your, at you know, that core level, but you've done other things. So what, what kind of journey have you had that's led you to, to almost come back to that? Oh, right. Okay. Well, um, where should I say, how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in a nutshell, I think the, the major the major sort of career changes were uh, when I when I was at school, I really wanted to be uh, an artist and a rock star. My dad was an amateur artist, Dave, um, and I, I looked up my dad, God rest his soul. Uh, my elder brother, uh, Owen David, uh, he he was a drummer in a band, and I just wanted to be a drummer like my brother and an artist like my dad. Uh, and I was so lucky at school, I had an opportunity. Um, and I was really good at tech drawing for some strange reason. And uh, my tech drawing teacher's father-in-law had a, he, he, he ran um, a silversmithing school in Sheffield. And I, I got the opportunity to, to actually go and do an apprenticeship in silversmithing at Sheffield. Sheffield. And I was so excited. I ran home to tell my mum and dad. Uh, I was born really late in the family. So it was like living with grandparents, really, bless them. Um, they think, okay, I'm going to be a silversmith. And what does that mean? I've got to stop on at school and do A-level chemistry for some strange reason to be a silversmith. And uh, I was absolutely shocked. It was my first disorienting dilemma, dear. 
Um, right. And my mum said, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, you're not. Uh, you're 16. You're going to uh, leave school. You're going to get a job. And your dad agreed with that. Yes, that's right. You're going to get a job and you're going to be a sheet metal worker. And then you start on Monday. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> wow. So that was a big change. So, you know, I had me, me dream scuppered. And so I became uh, a sheet metal worker. And my, my dad did, and my dad, bless him, um, he, because uh, he was a frustrated artist as well, I guess, because his dad wouldn't let him be an artist. Right. So it was sort of history repeating itself to a certain degree. But it was it was really good for me because he said, serve your time, son, and then you can do what you want. And I was lucky enough to serve me time in a really, really old, traditional sheet metal shop uh, where the, all the old skills, my first job was making brass, sorry, copper um, lamps for the side of ships. Right. <laughs> See them in antique shops now, my goodness. So it just gives you an indication of how old I am. But here I am, you know, X number of years later, and as an artist, um, I use my sheet metal skills to create public art sculptures. So there you go. So it's funny how even the stories we find ourselves in, real life stories, it was here and now and real when I was 16, uh, can play out for the rest of your life, you know. Yeah. So I, I did. I did exactly that. Served my time and then left and, and joined Northumbria Police, and in 1984 uh, became a police officer. Um, <laughs> tail end of life on Mars, in the bushes to washes. Dave, you've been there. You know the story. So it was. It was fun. It was like living in a film. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just working now because I joined 92, so it was it. It was um, kind of on the back end of a lot of that, you know. Um, you would have seen Pierce, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act come in and things like that, would you? Or was that just coming in when you joined? Yeah, it, was, it was, came in 1986, so I I had two years. I, was, I, was, I went straight to the CID, I was so lucky. Right. Um, I had the opportunity to be in a squad, and so before I was even at the probation, I was working uh, working with detectives, and this was pre-Pierce, so um, le- but less restricted, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. I really enjoyed mm. that. Um, and circumstances, well, I had that, I did that for a number of years and then um, and left in a fit of temper one day and, <laughs> and went back to industry uh, for a short time. And then the best job in the, the, best job in the world on some, uh, salmon and migratory fish protection. I became a Watfield. Right. Watchers, which was, which was good fun. Um, adding to the richness of my career development story. I really enjoyed that, but the, the money was terrible. <laughs> the family was getting bigger. So yeah. um, I decided, uh, I went back to the police. I sort of right. Swallowed me pride and went back. And had another good few years, um, again, working with... Um, Detectives, there was a song in there somewhere. Um, uh, in a different station this time, in a different area, but still within Northumbria Police. Uh, again, really enjoyed it. Ended up uh, in an armed siege as a hostage, only for a short time, I don't know as bad as it sounds, but I was a hostage in an armed siege, uh, which had that story itself had a massive impact uh, on my family. Um, that I decided, well, enough's enough. And uh, and I left the police 
uh, went back to industry again, uh, and then realised, you know, the, the one thing, good thing about the place, Dave, um, as you know, is you, you deal with everybody. You know, you, you become um, skilled in being able to deal with all levels of society. You become skilled in how to speak to people, how to interview people, how to question people. I didn't realise the benefits of that until I decided to get myself educated. Uh, and then started off on, at a local college doing a management degree because I, I found myself in a management position, this I should mention, and I couldn't speak the language. You know, speaking all this management job, and I felt a little bit self-conscious about that, so I decided to get myself educated. Got the bug, became fascinated uh, by uh, organisational development, uh, particularly leadership, uh, coaching and leadership. And then that set me off on a journey. Um, and just like I use my sheet metal skills in my artwork, or in my coaching and mentoring practice, I'm still using <laughs> the, the interview techniques there that, that I developed all those years ago. So in a nutshell, basically, uh, that's where I'm at. But I think the flavor of what I do and, and where my learning's taken me, Dave, is to explore transformative learning and what does that mean. Uh, autoethnography as a methodology to understand who we are and help our clients to understand who they are and who they want to be. And how all that, all of it, is tied up in the stories we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the stories we tell ourselves aren't the best stories. Yeah. You know? yeah. And we need a better one. Uh, yeah. So I, I see my role in life, uh, apart from playing in a band and making my artwork, is to help people achieve their highest potential by basically helping them change their stories. Yeah, and uh, brilliant. Thanks for thanks for the overview because it's interesting, isn't it? The 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 the. the the stories that sometimes get put away when we're kids, um, and and then, but the 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 potentially always there, and life gets in the way. We do things to make a living. We have a family, grow and take on responsibilities. We find ourselves, you know, the buffet, the winds of life buffet us in different directions. But this is one of the things that I wanted to explore with you, actually, because over the last few episodes, what I've just in these early episodes, particularly the podcast, I'm trying to saw this idea of the stories we tell ourselves, but also the fact that, you know, we can find ourselves in places in life where we kind of almost turn around and go, is this it? <laughs> is this where I'm at? Like, I'm working hard for what? Is this actually what I wanted? Is this true to me? And it's not that there are bad elements in our life that, that you know, that we've all probably had experiences where we've got a wonderful life in so many ways. And yet it isn't there's something not quite right in terms of that you know, the fulfillment or something nurturing your soul, however you want to describe it. And I know I certainly experienced that. And um, that's been my journey, which sounds like yours, is how do you rediscover that? So I tried to sow those seeds. So I guess one of the things I was kind of encouraging listeners to think about is, have you ever been there? Have you had that? Is this a question? Are there any scratch itches that remain unscratched, you know? Um, and how do you work that out? How do you discover that? And I remember one, things that, one of the exercises you talked about um, early on, um, is to think about the TV programs or the films or the music or something that you liked as a kid and what could they tell you? I don't know if that's worth picking up on because I think for me, it's how do we get, I, I threw my life, I, I always described it as my life was a, a Lego building and I went and smashed it all up and then had to rebuild it. And I'm convinced it's not the best way to do it. <laughs> you 
know, um, it took me years to rebuild and there was a lot of emotional baggage that came along. But if we can just look at our life and think, there's something that I just need to amend or change or just make those small but significant changes, the sprout size changes, then we can start to change those things and test and work with them. And part of that is to look back at those early life stories or interests or fascinations. So I, I don't know if that's worth picking up on from, from that exercise because I always that's always stuck with me. Yeah, it is a great exercise, Dave, and um, it's not mine. I, you know, it was shared with me by, by a coach, and, and it really struck me as well. And I thought, oh, mm. goodness, because I was asked the question, um, you know, what did you want to be when you were a kid? You know, and, uh, and what was your favourite? What was your favourite book or TV programme? Instantly, you know, with, without giving it any thought, Dave, the music came into my head. Uh, I want to definitely um, give away my age now, but it was it was the theme song from a, an old black and white television program about Robinson Crusoe. You know, and that just it was there, this powerful thing. You know, and and I, and I was like, wow. And, and I asked, I, I said this to my coach, and he, he said. Um, well, what does that mean? You know, what, what was what's the metaphor there? What's the what's the story? How has that helped to drive, or has it helped to drive who you are? And I thought, oh my goodness, yes, it has, because I've got this innate sense of adventure. That terrifies me like sometimes. Not that I do anything dangerous, just I'm always looking for an adventure. <laughs> and um, to the point where you know, I've always loved being outdoors. I've always uh, loved uh, making the most of what you've got and the resources around you. And the more I looked at it, I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, we even have a family business, Dave. And I know you've experienced, you've been down the woods with us. Yeah, yeah. We teach bushcraft and survival skills. <laughs> oh my goodness. Unconsciously, that passion I had, because... I, as soon as I'd watched an episode of Robinson Crusoe, I was out in the back garden, you know, I was there, I was making dens, I was doing, you know, I was sort of living my little dream. Um, mm. And that that story stayed with me and I've had that sense of adventure, just like the story about being, being a rock star and, a, and an artist. These these what drive, drive us. So, but sometimes we forget and sometimes just like the coach did with me by bringing it to the fore, I was able to unpick it and understand not just, you know, yeah, I like the idea of being a woman on the desert island, perhaps not. But when I, when I unpack that, you know, what elements of it did turn me on a journey? What, mm. what parts of my DNA were switched when I would think about, you know, managing resources, having a bit of an adventure, you know, those types of things. When you do that, you think, okay, if I take a strengths-based perspective, you know, yeah, is it good to be adventurous? You know, uh, well, I think it is. Um, if it's if it's measured with management of risk, uh, you know, take calculated risks rather than just jumping in feet first, you know. Um, so that's helped me to understand that and give me some sort of guidance moving forward as, as my story has developed and grown. Um, but it, it's developed and grown in iterative, small iterative steps, as you mentioned. It's like, a, it's like a continuous improvement, small incremental steps that get us to 
So our story evolves rather than big step change. It might seem like big step changes at the time, but the reality is that the small incremental ones make the sustainable change. Big step changes usually collapse <laughs> as they do in all regions. Um, and you get bungeed back to your comfort zone. Whereas if, if the changes are made in small bite-sized bits, and it fits with our narrative, our core narrative, who we are, then we tend to accept the change and, and move with it in order to So I always, you know, that question was a great coaching question that was asked of me. So I, as I did with you and the rest of the guys on your cohort, yeah, you know, when I ask you to share what was your favourite book or television programme as, as a child, I think it was a Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Testing my memory. Um, but isn't that a fantastic thing that then, I know we've had these coaching conversations before, but when I'm talking to you, I will use as many Star Trek references as I can. And when I do, you go, home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he can hear me. He knows what I'm talking Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we need to do the same for ourselves, don't we? In our own sort of self coaching. We need to speak our own language. You know, we don't have to, let's be authentic. We don't have to be what we think social media thinks we should be or what we think social media thinks we should be. It doesn't, it's just a, a thing, you know, and we worry so much about what people think of us when they're not, they're worrying about what people think of them, you know. So why not just cut through all of those layers and be as authentic as we can and think, who do I want to be? How, what is my truth? Well, let me explain that a, li a little bit because it's a big thing, isn't it? Mm. I absolutely, deeply and passionately believe that everyone is capable of achieving their highest potential. Whatever that might be. Well, the highest and wildest dreams. Now, or, or a degree of them. I mean, uh, and everybody can do it. All you need to do is to create and believe, to accept and tell the truth to yourself and to others. And when I'm saying tell the truth, I mean tell the truth. That is your story of success. Not your old story, not that story that's on a loop. Oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. Or I'm a procrastinator. Or I'm a this or I'm a that. That's your old story. Think about the story of who you want to become. And you'll know when it's the right story because when you tell yourself that story, it resonates through your body like a vibration. If only. Right? And then we start to create that new, better alternative story. Then, you know, and the more we tell that story, because it becomes a belief. And that'll never happen if we don't believe it. Mm. You know, I want to be a millionaire, dear. But if I don't really believe it in my heart of hearts, it's never going to happen. But if I do believe it, oh my goodness. But what is a belief but a story that we've told ourselves so many times that it becomes our truth? So why not create a better story and tell ourselves it so many times in so many different ways and to everyone who listened? <laughs> and it, we start to believe it. Mm. And there's this things that, you know, this, this, if our 
our goal is perhaps a little bit too big for us, as in it might, we might not be physically able to do, to win the Olympics in a particular sport because of uh, our size, our gender or whatever, then it would never be believable. So we need to tell ourselves a story that is believable, but push the boundaries a little bit. Mm. Give us some reference points that we can believe in. Now, you, you find, well, I've found over the years and researching personal professional development, that there was a period, particularly in the sort of 90s, I think, where it was all about, you know, there was an upsurge of life coaches telling us to live the dream, to imagine and visualize yourself, create a vision board, be there in the future. They would wind you up. I'm not going to mention names, but they used to be on the telly a lot. Really imagine yourself, feel yourself looking fit and healthy and the right size and the right dress size. Not that I would wear a dress here, but, you know, look in the mirror and see yourself looking fantastic, feeling fantastic, living your dream, driving that particular car or steering that particular yacht or flying that particular aeroplane, whatever it is. Then just take a moment, turn around and look how you got there. And then all you have to do is follow those sequences to get to where you want to be. It's very prescriptive, but it's too restrictive and a bit potentially unbelievable because your ego, that little voice in your head that's going, wait a minute, Ron. And if you're saying to yourself now, wait a minute, Ron, I haven't got a little voice in my head. Well, that's your little voice, <laughs> right? It becomes too prescriptive. So to get that, I have to get this fantastic executive job. So what happens if you don't get that exact that executive job? Your ego says, see, told you so. And it just shatters like a dropped glass. Doesn't get anywhere. A much better way of doing it, David, rather than just singing big stories over there and I want to go and get it, is to create a smaller transition story about how to get to where you want to be in those smaller, iterative, sequential steps mm. that is less prescriptive. So rather than say, like, I've got to do this, that, or the other, say, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if, if this happened? Some, or something like it. Oh, and wouldn't it be fantastic if blah, blah, then it works like that and you get yourself into a bit of a frenzy again and get into a really, really good emotional state about your desired outcomes, but it's not too prescriptive. So it's not all or nothing. So if you don't get the executive job, it doesn't shatter your direction. It just means, okay, what else can I say? Because what becomes immediately um, apparent is you allow yourself to start to see opportunities that you wouldn't normally have seen before. And when seeing opportunities, then we can focus on it. And when we can focus on it, we can go for it. When I, when I first started um, doing a lot of my research around the use of storytelling, and coaching and mentoring, I really threw myself into it and was giving talks around the world at different conferences on it. Fantastic. And I probably disappeared uh, up my own navel, I guess, a little bit. 
And because when you've got an academic conference, you've got to prove yourself. You know, you've got to give evidence. You've got to, you know, to support what you're saying with, uh, with rigor and, um, and value. So I tended to talk a lot about this in academic terms. And I remember coaching a guy who was a manufacturing manager in the Midlands. And John, you know, she was in all these long academic words. I'm not even going to repeat them now because I, I, I want to lose them from my vocabulary completely. Because I sounded really clever. I really did sound really clever. And he says, wait a minute, Ron. You're telling me I've got to get over myself. I don't mean, you know, come on, Dave, get over yourself. Pull yourself together. No, it's getting over your limiting beliefs. Getting over that old story that doesn't serve you anymore. Get, you're telling me to get over myself, to get focused on what I really want. Excuse the accent. And um, and then get on with it. And I says, that's exactly it. And he said, well, you can see us all then. So from that point, I've tried to keep it as simple as I possibly can. And those three phases to achieving the lifestyle and the, the life that we want is we've got to get over ourselves. And it can be a challenge, and it can be a bit scary, but it is about knowledge, it's about self-awareness and understanding who we are, why we do what we do, what is our identity, our personal, our professional identity. And when we can absolutely recognize who we are and get over those limiting beliefs, then we can start to see things as opportunities. Because up until that point, our limiting beliefs won't even allow us to go there, mm. Mm. let alone imagine what the potential could be. Mm. If we want our, to reach our highest potential, we've got to first imagine it mm. and believe it, feel it, and then think about well, what does it look like, what does it feel like, what does it taste like, what can we mm. hear, you know, and then we can start to create a story that's pulling us in that direction, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, loads. We could be on for hours here. Right? <laughs> so, a so, couple of things I wanted to pick up on and kind of develop because there's there's loads I want to explore. You, you mentioned about the development of the story, and yeah. if if you, I can't remember your exact words, but you said something like, you know, if um, it's if it's too big a leap, you end it can crash about you and you end up sort of like a bungee coming back. I think was the phrase. And what sprang to mind there was a bit like. A novelist, right? You know, the, the books that I love are where they bring in threads and they develop and they develop, and then there's an event, but it's the development on the way. And I think, you know, we're, we're talking stories, so we're going to totally immerse ourselves in this in this conversation. But the the idea is that we can have these big dreams, you know, like as a, a kid, I want to be a brain surgeon, all that kind of stuff. You know, we all we have all sorts of different dreams, but what does it say about what is that actually saying about what you want? What are the underlying drivers and those developing the plot and the stories as we start to shift are us working that out. If we're doing it, as you say, aware, you know, aware of what we're doing rather than being guided by the pressures of just having to make a living and all that. And I'm not minimizing that because that, that took me a long time, years to sort of unpick some of the previous decisions around financial, you know, getting myself committed to mortgages, loans, et cetera, stuck in the job that I didn't particularly want to do because of the commitments, all of that. But once we start unpicking, 
the fun, the adventure is in letting that development unfold. And I had a tendency, I know in the past, of being all or nothing and having like, oh, I just want to be, I would love to have that four-hour work week that Tim Ferriss wrote about. I mean, I love that book. But there's a massive leap, isn't there, from where you are, which is where I was, you know, working full-time shifts after, you know, taking a career break to, to run my business, falling on my backside, coming back, full-time shifts and running a business and trying to think, how am I going to get there? What am I going to do? And as I've developed, I've realized that the adventure is happening now not when I get to that four-hour work week or whatever. And actually, the four-hour work week is it's a, it's, a, it's a statement or a metaphor for trying to just build in more of what I enjoy and like and shape life and do less of what I don't. And there's always stuff that you kind of have to do in order to. But that, that to me is kind of, I guess, one of the essences of how do you develop the story so that you're not always looking at the end? You know, the, the, you don't read a book to get to the end. You read, Absolutely. yes, you want to find out what happens. You, it's like a piece of music. Is it Alan Watts that says, you don't listen to a piece of music to get to the end. You, you want to enjoy it as you go. Um, so incrementally developing that by firstly recognizing the stories that you have that are limiting, that are undermining and that keep coming back. And are gnarly stories that keep coming back. Who am I to think, oh, I'm a born warrior? You know, those kinds of things. Get over that. I, I use the three phrases of get your head back, which is get your head back from all the, the stresses and the pressures and the self, the stuff we do to ourselves. Get your shit together, which is just get organized and clear about when you, what you want to do and where you want to be and productive and focused. And then get your head, sorry, get life back on your terms, which is where you start that shift. Um, so I get what you're saying about, you know, the academic language is, is really good when you're writing a master's dissertation or studying, but you want to bring it down plain English, actually for me, to yeah, in my own head to understand. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with the point, but I think it's kind of that idea of the stories, the, the adventure is in them unfolding as, as you start to discover and explore. And when you're holding something lightly now, those transitional stories are actually, that's where the fun is. That's where the enjoyment is, the discovery I totally agree with you, Dave. And it's a, it is a balance. It is a balancing act. It's about identifying the direction you want to go in more than anything else. Mm, so you, yeah. But if you've got a direction, you've got a destination. I mean, there's ultimately only one destination. Yeah. We, want to, we, we we want to do it on our terms, as, as you've said. So I think once we can establish where you want to go and think, does that fit with who I am? And mm. like I said, it resonates resonate with you and that becomes your identity who you are not necessarily your old identity but your, perhaps your new identity of who you want to become then once we've established that then let go of it then we need to be in the moment right we need to then absolutely be in the moment and be guided so we know where we want to be but follow our like a little guidance system so if the metaphor if if the direction was our true north then you know we, we need to be checking our compass all the time when yeah. we're yeah. veering off to just keep that on top and know that you know that's that's life. But enjoy mm. the little variations in the route. Oh, that's lovely. That's interesting. And then okay, right, I need to get back on track now. You know, and that's that is the forces. But it is all about living in the now, mm. in the present moment in time. Um, that's where the joy. That's where the absolute yeah. joy is. Because if we worry about. Worrying about the future is just causes anxiety. Worrying about the past, you know, uh, again, causes anxiety because we don't want that to happen again. Right? It's either we're away from or we're moving towards. Mm. You know, it's 
started to be moving towards something that we want to go for, hmm. knowing where we're at, because we've started that journey. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm kind of thinking along the lines of anybody who might be listening who's thinking, um, what does this mean to me? Um, um, I've experienced that that feeling of th- there's something else that I want to be doing or experiencing or, or it's not quite, you know, th- th- there's something, a fulfillment gap, if you like. Um, what? Where do we start? Where do they start in that journey? You know, and how do we... How do they kind of start to allow themselves to explore? What, what, any suggestions on that? Because I think, I know it, the reason I ask that is because it, being authentic to yourself, it's a bit of a buzzword that's now getting overused, I think, but I think it's very true. But it's also being true to yourself. I didn't know who I was. I'd spent so much of my life being somebody else that I thought I had to be, that I never really got to know who I was. So I think many of us are coming to a point where we think, well, what does that actually mean? And how do I find that out? <laughs> you know? Well, I've got to, you know, let's look back to how our ancestors did it, Dave. You know? Right. You know? <laughs> but when I, when I started my research around that particular point, how does this work? How can our identities change? How can our stories dictate who we are and who has control over that story? You know, are we living our own authentic story or are we living someone else's story you know, to satisfy their mm-hmm. expectations? And my research, I didn't expect my research uh, to take me down a, an anthropological route, but it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back to the turn of the last century, you know, uh, there was a, a guy called Arnold Van Gennep who mm. did a lot of research around rites of passage yeah. with, um, with so-called primitive cultures, so-called because I don't think they were that primitive, to be honest. And what he identified, whether he was looking at uh, Native Americans or Inuits or Aborigines in Australia, was these rites of passage had three phases to them. No surprise that the the current literature around change management usually has a three-phase change program. My little one there, get over yourself, (laughs) get focused on what you want to do. (laughs) Yours, yours has got three, you know, it's Mm. it's inbuilt into our DNA, right? And what happened in, uh, what was common, shall we say, to all of the cultures that we found in it, studied was there was three phases. The first phase is he, he described as um, divestiture. Uh, what that means is you step away from the normality of what you're currently in. You need to step out of the current story. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then the next phase is what he called um, well, let's use an example to illustrate that. So if we take one of those cultures, uh, say uh, Native Americans, I think we're, you know, most people are familiar with Native American culture from what we've seen on the television and in films and stuff, is just imagine um, a, a young Indian boy to become a brave, a completely different identity, you know, and it's a typical rite of passage, no matter what, what your gender, 
or what your culture is, you know, you go from being an adolescent to an adult. Okay. So what Van Gennep identified in all of the, these cultures was that there was a change in normality when it was coming up to the time for that change. Like the elders of the tribe would stop speaking to that child in a certain way. There was a there was preparation starting. There was going to be a big party in a week's mm. time. <laughs> right. <laughs> then then there was a, something in the air. There was going to be a change, and there was a suspension of normality. Yeah. So a suspension mm. of the normal, the normal life around that particular individual. And then the second phase is where that individual would go off into the wilderness. I'm not suggesting everybody goes off into the wilderness um, for four or five days on a vision quest. You know, because that's called, called a vision quest in Native American culture. It could be walk about in Australia or mm. anything else, anywhere else. Um, but they would go off alone, um, you know, to, ref to meditate, and to reflect, um, with not much to eat, maybe a little bit of beef jerky and some strange mushrooms, perhaps, <laughs> or strange tobacco, even. <laughs> but they would get, they would stars themselves and get into a meditative, deep meditative state because of that, where they would, they would have a dream. They would meet their medicine animal, you know, and they they would dream who they want to become. So they've got autonomy over their new story. And at the end, I'm going to call this the liminal stage, a stage betwixt and between two identities. Right? This can be a scary place to be if you don't know who you are. And you've let go of your old story before the new story begins because you've got a, you're in a period of creativity where you're creating that new story. And um, the final stage is what... Uh, Van Gennep called reinvestiture was where you would come back you would, the, the new the now brave would come back into the tribe you know and sit around the campfire with everyone else and he would have collected you know perhaps if the medicine animal had been a bear or, or an eagle or a wolf he would have collected or not collected or created an artifact mm. a, a tooth a feather, a claw, and that becomes his medicine. And you come back and share his medicine, share the story, and literally tell everybody who he now is. And everyone respectfully accepted that story. Remember what is a belief, but the story mm. that we, we believe in, we've told so many times. And then that's it. Transition, a rite of passage. You know, and that's something I think we've lost here in our mm. in our Western world. You know, I think of some rites of passage of being an apprentice to become a tradesman, but we've lost that now. How many times have we changed what jobs and roles? Mm. You know, uh, one time it used to be you transition from school into a job, and then you were in a job for life, and then you transition from your job. Well, in between, you transition into being married, you transition into having a family, but then you transition into retirement. Now we can have God knows how many jobs, even within the same organization. Mm. 
But at each one, do we actually say, excuse me, boss, I'm just going on for five days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could imagine how that would go down, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. So wouldn't it be fantastic if we mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sort of get dive into some of the reading I did around this because um, I, actually I would like to get a hold of some of the people like Ibarra who talked about identity play and, and work and what have you. But I think the, the, it's the idea of the shifting of shifting from that, the divestiture from the old identity to the new and the bit in the middle is liminal. So I've heard it called liminal space, yeah. that kind of gap between the two. Um, and, you know, whether you're going through a big change at work and you're having, whether it's promotion or, or you know, redundancy or something where you've just found yourself by design or not having to deal with a different set of circumstances um retirement i've worked with a, a couple of head teachers who were head teachers for a lot and, and i struggle with that retirement process of who am i um, and i've had to i've had to work through that and at, at times it was a struggle because there was the old stories that were very limited who do you think you are man you're just this and you know and those limiting stories have wrapped up in that old identity now, so when we talk about identity, because this is the thing, I think we're talking about concepts, which if at first glance, when you're going through this, is this it kind of disorienting dilemma that you mentioned earlier, where you kind of just feel like something, something's missing or something's not quite right. You may not be thinking about as deeply as, because I'm, you know, my, who I say I am, the stories I'm telling myself aren't serving me anymore. I haven't quite picked up one of those early stories as a child that I really want to run with now and play with. And like you with the the, the band, I mean, you were saying that you were just, you had your first performance in, in your new band, The Bare Bones on Saturday, um, and your eyes like light up about it, you know? So they may not be thinking about that, but it's kind of getting that connection between those feelings, that sense of, is this, is this you know, what I'm working hard for? And, you know, what about me? Who am I? <laughs> well, there, there's a the question, I suppose. It is an identity question. Who am I? Who am I anymore? How do we, so how do we translate that into nowadays? Because you're right, you can't, it, it, well, you, you could try it, but you could say, your boss, I'm going off for a five-day, you know, um, spirit quest or whatever, you know. It, it's, how do we do that? How do we translate that into now, the lives that we live in now? These fast-paced, ever-changing lives where so many pressures and demands on us. Yeah, great point, Dave. And we've got to be real, you know. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we could just disappear up into the woods? Yeah, yeah. But we can't. So I think the first thing to do is to acknowledge that what that feeling is. Sometimes it manifests in, you know, you didn't become dissatisfied with your current role, you become dissatisfied with it. Something you've got a dissonance within you that's like, or incongruence that use another academic word, not feeling good about what you're doing. Now, if you recognise, look, that could be just an internal driver to unconscious mind saying, look, change. You know, we need to move on. Next stage. This is the next chapter of your autobiography. This is the next chapter of who you want to be. If we can recognise that and think, it's okay, I'm not broken. There's nothing wrong. I'm okay. It's just I'm ready for a change, but what that changes, I'm not quite sure. So, um, what helped me? Right, I'll, I'll tell you the story behind it. Uh, there was a while, a while ago, um, a good while ago, um, I was experiencing that need to change and becoming dissatisfied with everything, not you know 
you know, bit angry, short-tempered, which isn't me really, but that's the way I was feeling. And I love books, um, as you know. Uh, I love art. And in Waterstones uh, in Sunderland, uh, the bookshop, uh, would, would often, uh, uh, would, would go in there for a cup of coffee, I would always go over to the bookshelf that was all about the art books. All the bright, shiny books, colourful books on artists and painting, sculpture. And every time I would pick out this dull brown book, right? And mm. I don't know why I picked that one, because it wasn't shiny, and it wasn't colourful. I'd pick it out, and I'd flick through it, and it was all right. No pictures. Yeah. And put it back. And it wasn't just in Sunderland, it was everywhere else, every other bookshop I'd go into. But I finally picked it out in Waterstones in Sunderland. And uh, your wife said, and I went, I went, ah, I'm sick of picking this bloody book up. Right? There's no pictures in it. <laughs> and she said, well, why don't you just bloody buy it and read it? I think you're just a bit sick of me being bad-tempered or dissatisfied with everything. And it was called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It was a 12-week course on how to satisfy the inner artist, your inner self, to be creative. And one of the tools that was in there was the tool that helped me get through, or helped me to create and get through my own personal liminal space, dear. And it was an activity called what Julie Cameron called morning pages. Mm. The task was to get up first thing in the morning, and before you do anything else, get an exercise book and write three, four pages of free writing, put the pen down, and then don't stop, you know, for three or four pages, uh, and just get it, everything out there. And my goodness, did I resist doing that? But you've got to write everything down. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you're writing this down. And why you're writing, you just don't stop. Everything comes out. It's like everything that your ego or your inner voice is telling you comes out onto the paper and you can recognize it for what it is. You can recognize the resistance. You can recognize all sorts of different weird and wonderful emotions coming out onto the pages. It's like a brain dump in the morning. But after a while, if you persist with it, it starts to become really effective. And not only are you getting the, what she calls blurts, which is like you're attacking yourself, mm. beating yourself and beating yourself up, but because you've written it down, it's out of your head, it's out of the way. Then all of a sudden, little nuggets of ideas start to present themselves. You know, and when you recognize them for what they are, and particularly you'll recognize those that resonate with who you really are. It's not about just categorizing who you are and who you want to be and what profession you want to be. Just go with the feeling. You know, so every time I was writing about art, or I was writing about coaching ideas, or I was writing about music, I got a buzz. So I knew that those things meant something to me. That's your unconscious mind doesn't communicate with you through words. Communicate through your body. 
Mm. When you get that vibration, that buzz, you know something's right. And yet when you write something down, like you're beating yourself up, you feel crap about it. You feel like, eh. well, you know, let's, they're like your readings on your compass, aren't they? Mm. When you've got that, ooh, ooh, that would be great. That is, it means you're on track. So let's think about that for a while. Let's explore that a little bit more deeply. So when the morning pages are over, what I would do, maybe later on in the day, um, work com- com- committing, or I'll work on the evening, and I'll think, oh, that was a great idea. What was that again? I'll fumble through, get me notes out again, and then say, okay, let's explore this a little bit more. Mm. And do me write a, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Just suppose a little story about what that might look like, feel like, smell like. Mm. And explore that in a little bit more depth. And then you start to see opportunities. It's like a little miracle because then opportunities start popping up all over the place. It's not as if they've not been there before. It's just you've never allowed yourself to see them before. Mm. So in doing those pages, that enabled me to... It was a bit like going off into the wilderness because I was by myself. I didn't share with anybody else. Right? It was a new little wilderness in the dining room or in the bedroom or wherever. And just contemplating different things and letting whatever it was in my head get out onto the pages. Mm. And then from that, you can start to identify what means something to you. So that's your your value set. It matches your values, it matches your belief, it matches who you are. So you can't get any more authentic than that, do you? Mm. And then when you've got that, you think, okay, well, you start to become a little bit more dissatisfied even more because you go, well, that's what I want. Why can't I have that? Yeah, so, well, that's fine. If you want that, what will it look like? Then you start thinking, okay, you do a little bit of auctioneering then if you're doing it yourself. Or you can, if you're working with a coach, you can share it with your coach and say, okay, let's do some auctioneering around how can I achieve, what do I need to do to be able to, make those things happen, you know, mm. but, you know, it's, it's, and then telling the story, I, I love telling the story, you know, um, a few months ago, before I joined the band, I, I, I trapped myself, I trapped my wife, we, we, we went out and you know, bought, we bought my wife a nice car, we needed one, the car was wrecked, so I bought my wife a nice car and bought myself a van deal. Right, a little white bilingual van. I thought, yeah, this is great for me artwork, for me sculptures. And then one Friday morning, not too long ago, I said to me wife, uh, you know what? Oh, like being a band again. Got me drunk it. This band would be ideal for getting the gigs and stuff. She says, well, if you did, what type of band would you be in? She's a great coach, Margaret, as you know. And <laughs> Good coaching question now, isn't it? Let me yeah. think, what would it be like? And I said, oh, it's, I guess, because my cousin is a bass player in a band. That's you know, a, a, a covers band, you know, going to pubs and just having a good time playing their own versions of, of covers of, you know, songs everybody knows. And I said, a, a, a band like our Gavin's parts, right? Now, this is not miraculous. But something happened because on a Saturday morning, I get a phone call off our government saying, oh, Ron, I need a bit of business advice, maybe. Um, you know, we need to 
drummer's um, not very committed and it sort of holds him back a little bit. And, you know, the mate don't think he's right for the band. He doesn't think he's right for the band. What do you think he should do? Where can we start looking for a new drummer? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, duh. <laughs> you know, and then a few conversations later and then I'm in the band and rehearsing online because we're in COVID and, and then we had our first gig on Friday night and it was amazing. Mm. Now you could say, oh, that's law of attraction, it's just a miracle. It's not. It's just these opportunities present themselves all the time. But had I got that phone call on a Saturday morning and I hadn't been thinking about mm. who I am and what I want to do next in my next chapter, then I wouldn't have seen it as an opportunity. Mm. I would have missed it completely. Yeah, I think it's a great example. And you've, you mentioned a couple of things there. A couple of things. One is that we need to kind of, that divestiture that you mentioned with Van Gennep's work, it's almost like the the morning pages because, you know, Julia Cameron's 12-week course on the right, the artist's way, isn't it? I, I mean, I've done it on, I've done it twice now, actually, following your suggestion. And the morning, I've done the programme and it's really, really incredibly valuable. Um, I, I, I would say, especially for those who feel like there's a creative element that you want to explore and an itch to scratch. Um, but the morning pages I found really, really transformational in that sense. But that divestiture element that you've talked about with Van Gennep is almost like that's what the morning pages are, are, are for. Initially, if, if not, you know, well, I would say initially because there's other things that come out of it, but getting those old stories out, getting them on the paper, recognising them and seeing how you, you the blurts, as you call them, how you're holding yourself back and stopping and blocking seeing those things because I, I look back now and I know there's times when there have been opportunities come along and I've only seen them in the, when I've looked back and I've missed them because my head was in the old stories the old the old limiting stories of oh, who am I to think oh, I'm not ready I'll do that later when I've got my life in order or when I've done this or you know I, because I'm a bit of a control freak I like to be organized and that's one of my big lessons is how do I let go and go with an opportunity rather than feeling like well I'll do that when I'm organized and sorted. But recognizing that is it like you're most you are, it's a bit of a divestiture. You're getting it out of your head and into that paper. And I found that really, really beneficial. The thing that strikes me is that two things with this, in the practical sense, if you're experiencing these feelings of like, is this it? What's it about? Then firstly, the answer, I guess, is no, there's a lot more. Or you could look at things and see more, you know, where your life is. So, you know, the answer is there is more giving yourself permission to think differently to challenge that but there is work involved as well there is about making some space in that because it's not it, it takes it takes a bit of discipline it takes discipline and time doesn't it to do that one practice and i would say that's that's making a sprout size choice i'm going to spend 15 to 20 minutes or 15 to half minutes to half an hour every day or you know for me it was most days just doing that even you know that practice of the three the, the three full pages of of stream of whatever you you know whatever's there and sometimes like i don't want to write this i don't know what to write this is bollocks this is you know all that kind of stuff but letting it just keep going that one thing done consistency led to so many different things for me in recognition but we all have to i guess recognize that whatever change we want to do there's going to be work there's going to be there's going to be some commitment and that's the challenge, isn't it? When your life is so full on, your head's battered anyway, where do you start? Which is, I guess, where I talk about, like, get your head back, to get your head back. What's the first thing you can do? So it might be improve your sleep or it might be just do that one practice around journaling just to start to recognise that thinking. 
but knowing that there has to be work because you you know you're saying there about like th- these opportunities do come along but you've got to be telling yourselves the right story or in the right place to go just go with that man go with that have a go and learn as you go so i think there's some the, the, there's something very powerful in that recognizing that we have to let go of those old stories and then there's a bit in the middle isn't there before we start to take on the new identity that kind of liminal space where we're one of the things that always struck me when when you used to talk about it, it, it can be very disorientating and distressing if it's thrust upon you for the first time. There's all sorts of feelings of anxiousness and you want to go back to the safe zone. I know that I've had that experience, you know, when I've made big rash decisions, you know, I've wanted to crawl back to what I was doing before because it was known and comfortable. It wasn't necessarily ideal. But as you start to see that that process is natural, you're not broken, as you said you can start to sense that there's, there's opportunity and excitement in there. And you, you've said, it's always stick with me, that you, you get excited when that feeling comes because that disorientating feeling is bringing some potentially some new ways of looking at things, some new stories, challenging the old to then take on some new things. And that, that for me is a work in progress because <laughs> I'm still working on it myself. But isn't that a great way to look at it? You know? Yeah. The, the, and you can only look at it in the now, dear, when you're like that. Mm. You're ex- like you bang on. I get when I'm having a disorienting dilemma, or that dissatisfaction, or that internal drive to do something. And even if I'm resisting it, and I don't, I'm having to do something, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> I think I've been through the cycle so many times now, and it is it's an iterative cyclic process. I get excited. I think mm. oh, because I don't know what's coming. But you've got to be able to embrace that ambiguity and not knowing. Mm. But knowing that if it's if I'm feeling good about it, I know it's going to be something good. And that might be challenging, and might mean a little bit more work, and it might mean oh, I might need to upskill in this area or upskill in that area. Or I might have to, you know, not spend so much time with that person, or I might not, I might mean leaving a leaving employment even. But if it's for the right reason and it, it's, it gets it moves you towards the destination that you want to go in, then we're going to embrace it. But you know, not mm. being rash, mm. but you know, making you know, it, there's an ecology to change there. Mm. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we change the rule of cybernetics and, and systems is you make a small change in a system and the rest of the system has to adapt to get that equal, to achieve that equilibrium again. And that work, the workplace is a system, but so is your family. You have a system of friends and colleagues and peers. So when we change, you know, that might go down very well with some other people. But come on, Dave, you've been a bit selfish there, haven't you? you want to change? Yeah, that's impacting on me now. You want the change? You know, is it? it, it ooh, all of a sudden, it's not just about you; it's about other people as well. Mm. Yeah. So make a choice then. What are we going to go with this change, or are we not? Are we going to compromise, or are we going to? You know, there's, there's ways around things. Or do we need to convince somebody why we're changing, or do we just let them go? Mm. Yeah, I think I often in one of the episodes I've um, 
recorded is um, I'm talking about midlife crisis mismanagement. Now, I, I take to task the phrase mis- midlife crisis, um, but I think part of it is that if we're doing this consciously and in small ways, examining and looking at areas of our life, we're more likely to make a constructive decision that's ethically based. We consider all of our options, our relationships and the, the ecology, as opposed to denying that there's some dissatisfaction there, you know, there's some story that's starting, some small voice that's saying this is not the way it is and letting it build, letting the pressure build. It's a bit like a, a volcano. It, it erupts rather than kind of a, you know, the small changes and what have you. And and for me, the mis- midlife crisis mismanagement idea is that if we don't pay attention to these smaller stories or these smaller signals, these, these feelings, honestly and openly earlier, they tend to get stronger and you get greater feelings of dissatisfaction, more anxiety, and you can end up being like the elastic band, which, you know, stretched too far, it snaps. Um, and it can create catastrophe and crisis, can't it, if, if at, that, that end. So it's like, how do we bring it back from that? And the first thing is to recognise those feelings. You talked about the the that the subconscious talks in, in, in feelings. And the trouble with feelings is we're kind of conditioned to not value them are we and push them down and just wind your neck and sort it out just put get on with life and sort it out but they're not going to go away unless we actually recognize them and the feeling might just be because you've had a bad day but if we're open and honest and confront it right we've given a chance a bit like the pressure cooker we've let that steam out but if we let it build there's a bigger possibility of the whole thing going blow bang you know and i think for somebody who's just starting out on that change in a journey you know uh, I think your morning page is, is a great place. Mm. Uh, just get it out and then explore it. Mm. You know, um, so I, I would strongly recommend that. Yeah. And that that technique. Yeah. Um, to just to to consider where you're at, where you want to be, and you know, to get that ambition back and to achieve your highest potential. You know, we, we might need a different story. Yeah, we're recognizing if we've got a new story, we've got to step away from the old one. Yeah, and and I guess the point about the morning pages is that it's a safe place so long as you don't you don't share it with anybody. That's the golden rule: is it doesn't get shared with anybody, or it's not accessible, or ever could be accessible. It's only on paper, so. You know, you don't have to do anything about it. The reality is once you start, kind of, you can make sense of things and, you know, a bit more coherence around some of these things. But what's the harm in just making it, putting it out there on, on a piece of paper or a Word document, however you want to do it? I certainly think there's some some value in that just for clearing your head. I often talk about what's on your, what's on your mind has your mind. And if you've got a lot of these feelings bubbling away, no matter how much you push them down, they've still got you. So get them out, get them on the paper is a great approach. Uh, just, just to kind of mention, because I'm conscious of time and um, thank you for giving us all your time here. Well, um, the one thing I wanted to highlight was you talked about the, the rites of passage and I know your work um, on my master's, we did part of this as a transformational coaching model module where we did the creating an artifact process. And um, your your work around, you know, your... Um, your doctorate work was around how do, how to um, leverage a, a reflective process through creating an artifact in helping us identify those stories and shift across to new stories. And I know from my personal experience over the masters, when we did that module, that was that was a, 
a massively impactful experience creating the 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 artifact that I did and then presenting it almost like that sitting around the, the campfire to the rest of the group we weren't we were in the classroom but it's that figurative force it was very very powerful process wasn't it well, I found personally but I know that's something that you you do have done a lot of work on it's really really powerful basically what it is is um when we think we think in certain ways you know we we have predefined this is predefined, but we'll have defined ways of thinking and learning. Right. So we've been taught how to learn at school. We've been taught how to learn by our parents, our siblings, peers, etc. So when we look at a problem or something happens, we see it through a particular learning lens. Yes, that's our um, our perception, our our assumptions are based around it. You know, that's how we look at something. And when we look at something in the same way all the time, you know, we're just getting a one-dimensional look at it. Now, what I encourage people to do in deep, critical self-reflection, when some when they're considering something that's happened and reflect on it, reflect on it, is to be a little bit more reflexive in the moment by let's look at it from an alternative perspective. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because no, no, this is the way I look at it. This is who I am. You know, I'm an engineer, so I want to break it down. All the facts. Well, no, you know, which, whatever defines how you look at a problem, whichever way you've been taught to learn. Uh, but from a transformative learning perspective, we need to challenge our critical self, critically self-reflect on our assumptions, right? Because our assumptions are defining how we look at something. Yeah. So what I found in my research, and because I'm an artist, you know, I went with this and to create a storytelling workshop to help people and students, and delegates and professionals. So when they've got this, this critical incidents happen that they want to unpick a little bit further to get some learning from it, tell us, tell it in a story. So there's three parts to this. The first is, Tell it, write down no more than 500 words, which is two sides of A4, roughly, if you type in it. One size 12, you know, one and a half <laughs> space. That might be three or four pages of handwritten notes. But write down your version of what happened. No holes barred, right? Nobody else is going to read it. This is just your rant. Okay? So it's like, can't believe what's happened at work today. Da, 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 da. And you write it down. You know, no editing. Just the story you would tell your best mate in the pub, or you tell your partner, or your wife, or husband, or whomever. This is your rant. This is your opportunity. Get it down on paper. Then the next stage is okay, let's shift, start shifting the perspective. If there's someone else involved, or a key witness, somebody else who saw what happened, write it, write their story, the version of the story you imagine. Right? Now, this is a crucial part. Some people get it straight away and they go, all right, okay, I understand why this person have behaved in a certain way. But others use it as an opportunity 
to reinforce their first story. Yeah. And that normally is about as far as anybody would go in their heads to replay the stories. If I asked them to replay the story from someone else's perspective, they would just basically reframe their own story. But the key thing that seemed to work with the artifacts, and what I mean by an artifact, Dave, is getting somebody to retell that story using an artistic medium of their choice. Mm. Right? That could be um, writing a poem, making a sculpture, drawing a picture, painting a painting, making a collage, whatever it is that describes that story, not necessarily in purely the written word, unless it's a poem. But are you, are you with me? Because yeah. it engages a different part of your brain that moves to the right side of your brain as opposed to your left. Your left is con control of your rational thought and your numbers and all the rest of it. Your right side, in theory, is more spatial, more intuitive, more creative. And, and when people do that, and particularly because I send people off to do that, Dave, as you know. So basically what I'm doing is I'm creating a liminal space. I'm giving hmm. a space for them as they walk into the wilderness, might be going home, getting their crap kit together, making wherever it is, you know, or designing a piece of interpretive dance. I don't care what it is, as long as it's artistic and it's telling the story in a different way. But what I've found is when people come back, as you've mentioned, to then share that artifact and tell the story of the learning, a big shift happens. Because armed with all of that extra perception and the shift in positioning, you never normally look at the incident from this perspective. It's like looking around the corner and you go, ah, oh, I missed that. And then you've got enough knowledge and self-awareness to really challenge your, your assumptions. Right? Um, I'll give you a little example. I ran, I'll give the listeners a little example because I think I shared this example with you, Dave, in class. Um, it was, I, was, I was running uh, with a set of delegates in um, a company shall remain nameless, but you might guess where it is, in uh, a major nuclear facility um, in the Northwest and talking about the concept of liminality, transformative learning, transformative reflection, reflection and seeing things from an alternative perspective. Okay. Now, uh, the manager who was seen as a hard-nosed, in-your-face, authoritarian manager, right, went away and came back with this artifact, which was a black ball that looked like a football, you know, with those little facets? Mm. And each of them was all made out of cardboard, and it was like a black, he called it the dark star. Right. right, that was a powerful piece and written in silver, in a silver pen, not a pen, on each of the facets was a word that described authority, tell, directive, all of these things that sort of summed up how he thought people saw him as this dark star. Okay, and there was a few people who worked for him 
in the same course, <laughs> on the same cohort as well. And you could see their faces going, yeah, yeah, that's him, right, yeah. Right, and he, he talked, it was really clever how he presented it, because he, he was like, he, he talked about those aspects of leadership, authoritarian leadership, uh, with the vocabulary, and with the aggression, <laughs> and forcefulness, <laughs> right? And then, to, to culminate, he threw the ball, this dark star, at one of his employees. Dramatic, and it's broke into pieces. And as it broke into pieces, inside was a big chocolate ball full of sweets, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which was a big surprise to everybody, you know. Mm. It was like an Easter egg, you know, full of smarties or whatever. And then, and Harry balls. <laughs> <laughs> and then he then changed his demeanor and said, Look, I am soft inside, you know and shared the sweets out. But the metaphor of that, there was a massive shift in his understanding, but even more so, there was a massive shift. Because he then went on to explain why he thought he might be projecting this dark star personality, mm. this dark figure of uh, manager to everyone. When mm. in reality, you know, that's not who he really was. Yeah. And, but that tell, in telling that story, I spoke to him since, and and in telling that story, he felt like he felt really vulnerable. Um, but it made so much sense to him that he, he then had to consider and work with how can he project that inner self, that authentic self, mm. rather than having to pretend to be this hard case, hard known mm. manager. So, just in creating an artifact and telling us yeah. a different way, how powerful is that? Mm. It, it's a, it's a. Uh, uh, I guess I'm conscious, obviously, time here, but like, just to kind of wrap up my experience, because I, I know that I bought into, I buy into this idea that we tell ourselves stories, and that you know we need to shape our story so that we don't hold ourselves back and we move that. But it wasn't until we did that exercise that I really believed it in the sense of it, it deeper down. Do you know what I mean? It was, I was very, because uh, I operate at a very cognitive, rational level and not really much into or in touch with feelings. And feelings for me were, they're things that they're still a work in progress to connect with. It wasn't until I stood up and presented my video that something happened. And I, you know, that I, I saw the artifact as a different aspect of me. And I can't describe it because, because, all the while I enjoyed creating it. It was a video. It was a mu video to music creep, the Radiohead creep, and and uh, just the you know a few images that were representing my life and relationship with dad, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I enjoyed the creative process. It was very cathartic. It was very reflective. But you mentioned something like he saw something after presenting it about himself, which he couldn't then unsee. It was like when I presented that. I saw something about myself in that that I wouldn't have done if I hadn't presented the video. If I'd have stopped at just creating the video, I'd have had a one journey, but it was presenting it and then telling it that it had some shift. And for me, the learning was to connect more with your emotion side because you spent too long sho shoving it down. And that's still a work in progress. But it's very difficult to describe, to describe until you experience it because I'm a very... I, 
I'm very much in my head. I have been. That's that's how I've kind of lived my life. And my journey now, I guess, is to tap into the other side of, you know, the feelings and emotions and what what they're telling me and learning to let go of control because control was always a way of to do rational, do this, A, B, C. And letting go of those things is scary. But that was a turning point where I realized there is more to this. It's not just knowing that there's more, as in I've read it in a book or I've read about this, actually experiencing it. And that's where that shift is in, in an exercise like that. Now, there's still work to be done after that. So it's not sort of a magical solution, but it's a big, powerful tool and tool or process that I think we can use. And I, that, I was listening to a podcast the other day where they're talking about culture and practices and um, rituals that are handed down. And people forget hundreds of years later why they're doing something. They just know there's wisdom in it, um, you know, whether it's processing food and, you know, um, or, or just a, a ritual process. They know there's something powerful in it, but they've lost the reason why. And we've we've lost the processes and the rituals now, so we haven't got the why. So kind of rediscovering it, we're kind of working our way right back, aren't we, with that? So I know we're kind of getting. Sorry, go on, go on, jump in, Rod. Sometimes we can we can trigger it. Um, you know, getting back to me, Robinson Crusoe uh, days and uh, and what we do now in bushcraft and survival skills. We last week we had uh, a, a lot of Nissan managers down the woods doing some leadership development and reflective practice. Just being in the environment, it, just being in that environment triggers some innate, um, I don't know, some part of our DNA is switched on and go, okay, right, I am now my primitive self, you know, that DNA that's been passed <laughs> yeah. on. And when we start talking about stories around the campfire, it really is a story around the campfire. And it just flows out of people. And the, the opportunity to be reflective and to consider who we are, in their case, consider themselves who we are as managers and uh, in, their, in their development processes. It, you know, we can, by recreating that traditional liminal space of being out in the wilderness. Mm. So even if that's just going out for a walk, after you've done your morning pages, go out into the open air and listen to the birds, feel the warmth of the sun or the rain on your back, whatever it is, but just experience it and be in it. Because that we can only do that deep, deep reflection in the moment, dear. Unfettered, unedited. Right? You know, some of the best stories in the world. I know you're you're you like your your literature and your Novels, mm. dear. Right? But they started out as drafts in someone's head. You know, yes, they've been polished and they've been refined. And that will come later. Mm. But if you think about ourselves as a draft, yeah. <laughs> you do that, go through that creative process first. But just play with the identity, play with ourselves as a character. If, if we are a character, you know, we've been a character in our story so far, we've got to be a character in our own story moving forward in the next chapter of our autobiography. So how do we want our, our character to be? And if, if we want to be that character, what plot <laughs> would, would serve us well in the development of that character? Yes, there's going to be challenges ahead. You know, but you know, the hero's story is how we get over those mm. challenges. 
you know, let's all have an American Hollywood happy ending for God's sake, you know. But that will, <laughs> yeah, you will have to wait till then. Living your dream isn't waiting for it to happen. Living your dream is making it happen. And this is all part of the process, you know. And the challenges are part of the process. So if, yeah. you, if you think to yourself, who am I? What am I doing? I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I need to change. That's part of living your dream. If you recognize it as such, mm. it's just part of it. And that should be the trigger of a, uh, of a drive or a push to make the next, to, to do the next activities. Yeah. Yeah. Start doing your morning pages, start writing it down, create an artifact, get a coach, or get somebody to like the, in these primitive cultures, you know, the shaman or the witch doctors or whatever. How many dogs just come in there? From the <laughs> yeah. Um, and take the next steps. And I think that's the that's a good place to to kind of wrap it up as well, Ron. I think it's about not ignoring those feelings or not not dismissing them as there's something wrong with you or you're being selfish. It's about just recognize them and reflecting on those feelings um and just allowing yourself to start that journey and the, the whole point of seeing it as the stories is because stories for some reason are just so powerful throughout culture throughout human history but seeing them as stories can almost give us permission to to hold them in our hand and look at them like that artifact can't they and and then see what we can change about it. and i love the power of that so um I think there's some great tips in there, but there's also some real food for thought for people to go forward with. And we may have blown a few minds, may have turned a few people off, who knows. But I think the point is to, to recognise that if you're in a place where you're feeling something's not quite right or that disorienting dilemma, that's not you broken and there is something that you could explore in there. There's some excitement or a call to adventure. I like that. Yeah. To stretch your metaphor a little bit or unpick it and take it back a, a while, you know, we do want to do it in small sprout-sized bits. Yeah. Right? But we've got to sow the seeds for the sprouts in the first instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, I often think look for the, the seeds, like look for those little signs because they're almost like the seeds, aren't they? There's something there. Um, and if you just let it grow rather than stifle it down, absolutely, and uh, let it grow naturally, then... You know, it could be something really amazing or exciting or whatever. Who knows? Talk to your plant, yeah. tell them a story, create <laughs> yeah. a story. Yeah. Now we're talking to plants now. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a wrap. <laughs> so, Ron, thank you for your time. It's been brilliant. And and gone over the time that I was expecting. But from my point of view, I've got, I've got so much out of it. And hopefully the listeners have as well, if, uh, you know, picking up and, and think things to think about. If they want to get in touch with you, I will put some links and information in show notes. Um, but where can they get a hold of you or learn more about your work and what you do, etc. cetera? Uh, on, on my website, ronlawsoninternational.com. Uh, but my email, for some strange reason, isn't working on that. So I do have an alternative email of uh, uh, Art at gmail.com, which is my sort of battle. Um, yeah. Email, by all means, uh, drop me a line. 
or contact through you, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DavidStressGuru.com. Um, but yes, you'll find all the, the information and show notes at SproutSweater.com and uh, check that out and let us know if there's any questions or thoughts that have arisen from this um, because obviously we can pick those up in future episodes. I'm hoping I might get Ron back on at some point and maybe feel some of those, but also just to explore some more because there's so much we didn't get to talk about. But thank you very much, Ron. It's been a, a real pleasure and uh, a great episode. So thank you. More Good luck, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed your flight aboard Sprout One. For show notes and information on how to get the podcast feed direct to your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other favorite podcast feed, visit SproutSweater.com. And touchdown.